Good morning, Cross Point. My name is Bruce, and today we wrap up our series on the Ten Commandments. Today we're looking at the Tenth Commandment, learning to be content, <clears throat> not to covet. <clears throat> if you remember, we started off this series by saying that these commandments are in descending order. The first four are man-God related, and the next six are how his kids are supposed to behave in the sandbox and treat one another. And although we're getting to the least of the ten, it's still in the big ten. I want to emphasize that, all right? I suppose coveting probably isn't as bad as number six, like murder. But remember, it's in the big ten, and God wants us to pay attention to this. Um, I don't know about you, but at our house we like to play board games when I was growing up. My favorite game was Monopoly. Do you ever have a Monopoly game at your house? On rainy days, Mom would bring that out because that would keep us occupied for a long time. And it seemed like I would never win. And finally, one day, I won for the very first time. I mean, I landed on Broadway and Park Place and the railroad and all, got all that money. And man, when I was done, I was so happy and so proud of myself because the idea of the game is to, to collect as much property and, and money as you can. And I felt like Scrooge McDuck and I just threw it all up in the living room and it all came raining down on me. Well, Milton Bradley has another game out called Mall Madness. But the purpose of this game is just the opposite of Monopoly. It's to spend as much money as you can. And, and the way I understand the game, I've never played it, but the idea behind it from what I understand is everyone's given X amount of money, and then you're to go to the shopping mall and you move your little game piece as you go from shop to shop to shop, and the first one to spend all their money wins. You finally, when you spent your last cent, you land on that last little square on the game board which says, you are broke. You win. Now, I don't think Dave Ramsey would approve of this game. It's just, but you know, a lot of people live their life spending and spending and spending because they're not content with what they have. They did a survey and found that 93% of female teenagers say that their favorite pastime is guess what shopping even over dating they'd rather shop than go out with you guys one guy said if my wife doesn't go shopping at least three times a week I send her a get well card <laughs> and so today the title of our message is learning to be content in Exodus Chapter 20 and verse 17, it puts it just like this. You shall not covet. Covet what? Anything. Anything that belongs to your neighbor. Anything. Not just your neighbor's wife, but your neighbor's house, your neighbor's lawn, your neighbor's car. Anything. What does it mean to covet? Here's a good definition that I, I was given on, on coveting. It means the uncontrolled desire to what? Acquire. Is it wrong to acquire things and desire things? No. It's the uncontrolled part is when it leads into being covetous. That's the area that we really got to watch out for. I mean, that desire to acquire. Squirrels will gather acorns. But even squirrels are smart enough to know when they have enough. 
Squirrels are smarter than some people. We just keep acquiring and acquiring and acquiring, and then when we run out of money, we start charging, we start charging. We never know when enough is enough. And I know it's hard in our culture to be content with what we have, but this morning, I want us to look at five effects. Watch this. Five effects of wanting more. Are you ready? Let's take a look at the first one. Fatigue. If you want more and more and more, you're going to get worn out. There is a fatigue factor in this. Proverbs chapter 23, 4 says, Do not wear yourself out to be rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Interpretation, it's dumb not to show restraint. You want to wear your body out? then you just keep on going and going and going because you've got to pay for all this stuff, right? But if you learn to know when enough is enough, if we could just be as smart as the squirrels and know we have enough, that's sufficient, that will supply. But in our push to get more, we often overwork ourselves and we get caught up in that materialistic rat race. The second effect of always wanting more is not just fatigue, but debt. You know that old song, I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. I mean, you got to pay for it, eventually, one way or the other. Ecclesiastes 5.11 says, the more money you have, the more money you spend. That does seem to be a tendency, right? You get that raise and think, you know what, I'm going to pocket this, put this away for a rainy day. No, we just say, I'll just spend a little bit more. Coveting destroys budgets. We think the problem is, well, I just don't make enough money. No, the problem is you're spending too much, according to Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey will say it's not an income problem, it's an outgo problem. You are spend, when you start spending more than what you're taking in, he says, don't be like our government. That's what our government does. Our government follows deficit spending for a long, long time. They want more, they just print more. But you know, you can only do that so long. You could kick the, the can down the road. Now, I'm, you, you've heard that phrase, right? Just keep kicking it down the road. You know, your children, then I was the child, and then my children would have to pay for it. I remember my mom and dad, my, my uncles, talking about kicking this thing down the road. And I thought, how do they keep coming up with ways? It should have popped by now, that financial bubble. But 20 years ago, there was no such thing as uh, quantitative easy. There was no such thing as plunge protection teams. Have you heard of these terminology? There was no, remember the stock market? You ever watched that program called Trading Places and everyone's in the stock market, buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. They don't even do that anymore. There's very few people. on the, Everything today is pretty much done, how? By computer al- algorithms. And so they're somehow, someway keeping it afloat, but for how long can you do deficit spending before the big bubble goes Pop. Dave Ramsey would say, don't be like the government. It costs more to have more. And you say, I know, but the grass looks so much greener on the other side of the fence. Yeah, if the grass is greener, you can also bet the water bill's higher too. Don't pull out the credit card. Don't fall for that. Fatigue, first effect. Second effect is debt. Third effect, now it leads to worry. You're now in debt. Ecclesiastes 5.12. He 
He talks about the difference between a working man and, uh, and a, a blue-collar man, really, and a white-collar man. A working man, a poor man, rich man, if you will. A working man can get a good night's sleep. I like that. But the rich man has so much that he stays awake doing what? Worrying. The more you have, the more you worry. What do you worry about? Well, how am I going to protect it? How am I going to invest it? How am I going to insure it? How am I going to avoid paying taxes on it? How am I going to keep it up? How am I going to keep it from somebody else taking it from me? See, the blue-collar man, he can, he can get up in the morning with the alarm clock, go to work, put in his eight hours, shift ends. He goes home and kisses his wife and eats dinner, watches TV, showers and goes to bed, and he sleeps like a baby. The white-collar man, though, when he comes home, is there any rest for him? No, he's bringing either his briefcase with a bunch of work in it, his laptop with a bunch of work in it, or, uh, my goodness, just dawned on me, one of these, a thumb drive with a bunch of work to be done on it. And now he's frustrated, he's tired, he, but he's got to get the work done, because, and he's maybe longing back for the day when he was a blue-collar worker, you know, when he didn't have so much responsibility. But he went from an hourly employee to a salaried employee to management to upper management, and now, you know, he's got all this stress and all these people to, to manage and make sure that it all runs right. And he finally gets to bed, and how does he sleep, according to this verse? Not very well. He's tossing, he's turning all night, worrying about all the stuff that still has to get done. A study said insomnia increases with income. I tend to believe that's true. And then it leads to the fourth effect, conflict. Fatigue, debt, worry, and conflict. What causes fights and quarrels among you, James asks. Well, he gives the answer in question form in the latter part of that verse. Don't they come from the desires, there it is, the desire to acquire, that battle within you. And what does that lead to? You have your desires, he's got his desires, and conflict takes place. Always wanting more. You know the number one cause of divorce in America is financial tension. And God says, don't covet. Don't get yourself into this. Don't wear your body down. Don't get into debt. Don't get into worry. Because it all leads to conflict. Don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's job, your neighbor's car, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's husband, your neighbor's whatever. Why? Because ultimately, number five, it leads to dissatisfaction. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, even when you think you got it all you don't have it all 510 says you will never be satisfied if you long to be rich you will never get all you want they asked Howard Hughes one time Howard you're a billionaire and you keep on doing bigger and better things and you keep on making more how much money will it take to satisfy you and Howard said just a little bit more and see, when you become a billionaire, you want just a little bit more and a little bit more. And once you reach that goal, you want a little bit more. You're never satisfied. The Living Bible says it's foolish to think wealth brings happiness. It really, really doesn't. You know, things can break happiness, I suppose, for a while, but they don't last long. 
How many of you are still thrilled with the Christmas gift you got last year? No hands? Some of you are thinking, yeah, did I get a gift last year? What was my gift? You can't even remember. I mean, you're not thrilled with it. And that's kind of the way it goes. Coveting is the number one reason for dissatisfaction. You'll never be satisfied. You get to this level, then you want to get to the next level. You're not satisfied with that level, so you want to get to this level. Not satisfied with that, so you want to go to the next and the next and the next. And it becomes all about you, and you're never satisfied. So what's the antidote to all this? Well, Paul will say, and here's what I love about Paul. He's so honest about his life and himself and the things that he had to learn over the years. Paul gives us the antidote in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12. He says, I have learned. If you've got your little outline there, circle the word learn, because that's an important word here. He doesn't say, I was taught the secret. What does he say? I learned the secret of being content, whether in plenty or in want. Paul's talking about his life. He's looking back at his life. There was a day and time in Paul's life when he was a very rich and prosperous man. Now, his name was Saul at the time, Saul of Tarsus. I mean, well-educated, probably a member of the Jewish council. And he had the authority to go in and, and ask for letters to take troops to go and round up Christians in a place called Damascus. He, he had some power. He had some prestige. He had some wealth. Prosperous times. He said, I know what that's like to be in plenty. But I also know what it's like to be in want. And he says, I had to learn contentment. Contentment is not something that you're taught. Contentment is something that you learn. Teaching is not learning. Now, they have their hands in the same pocket, I suppose. They're kind of like kissing cousins, but they're not exactly the same. We think once we hear something or taught something, we learn it. It doesn't work that way at all. Learning is a very individual, private, sort of a intimate grace that God gives us. And Paul, looking back on his life, when he was Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, says, man, God took me through a learning process. I mean, what school teaches learning? You can't learn contentment. What school teaches? This is the school of contentment. Today we're going to teach you how to be content. You can't be taught contentment. You've got to learn it, Paul says. Paul says, I have learned the secret. So, how do we learn contentment? Paul gives us some insight. Number one, Paul says, well, for me, I had to learn to resist comparing myself to others. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves. Why? It's not wise to do that. In other words, it's a dumb thing. When you start comparing yourself to somebody else, he says, that, that's a real dumb thing to do. If you're comparing your house and your car and your job and your looks and your finances and your talents with all these other people in the world, Paul says, that's, that's really dumb. Why is that dumb? Because it leads to dissatisfaction. Why does it lead to dissatisfaction? Because there's always going to be somebody who's smarter and better looking and has more money and a better car than you. 
Always. It's a big world. So how do you react when you see somebody else with nicer stuff than what you have? A nicer car, maybe a newer house, better furniture. Do you say, I wish I had that. I wish that was mine. See, that's the covetous side. That's the thing we've got to learn to say, no, no. Or can you just be happy for them and happy for what you have without feeling that green-eyed monster called jealousy, which is second cousins to coveting. The two really kind of go together. Can you say, I'm glad for what I have? For the last 34 years, I have lived at 16681 Flowering Plum Circle. Isn't that a pretty street name? Flowering Plum Circle. Little, a palatial palace? No. A little white house, a little yellow house with a white picket fence. Is it a mansion? No. Two bedrooms, one bath. 1,125 square feet. But I love that house as much today as the day we moved in. Why? It met my needs. I was so content with this little house. And then we had a little boy that grew up to be a teenager. Have you ever been on the wrong side of a bathroom door? Yeah, well, when you have three people living in one house with one bathroom, that happens. But, you know, we got through those times, and now we're empty nesters. And you know what I like about a small house? It's easy to cool in the summertime and heat in the wintertime. It's not too hard on the pocket. Easy to clean. And when I'm hungry, here's the real kicker, it's not that many steps to the kitchen where the refrigerator door is. <laughs> I am cont- I, Could I have sold it and bought a bigger house over there? I guess I could have, but when you buy a bigger house, you got bigger payments and you got more taxes. I, I'm just so content with what I have. Feels good. Thank you, God, for what I have. Can you learn to admire without having to acquire? What we need to understand, folks, is our net worth and our self-worth are not the same. Let me say that again. Let that sink in. Your net worth and your self-worth are not the same. They're two different things. You can be a millionaire and a jerk... And you can be poor as a church mouse and be the most wonderful person in the world. Kind and gentle and loving. So don't compare your net worth and your self-worth. You know, you can be possessed by your possessions if you don't watch out. People will do all kinds of things to get more money. They will sacrifice things to get more money. They will sacrifice their values. They will sacrifice their morals. They will even sacrifice and cut off relationships just so that they can have more. Did you hear about the lady that won $40 million in the lottery? And, and she called her live-in boyfriend on the telephone and says, Guess what? I just won $40 million in the lottery. Start packing. And he goes, Great. Should I pack for warm weather or cold weather? And she said, It doesn't really matter, just as long as you're out of the house when I get home. We will sacrifice relationships to have a little bit more. And so how do I learn contentment? Number one, resist that comparing thing that we often do. Number two, rejoice in what you do have. Rejoice in what you 
do have. Thank you, Lord. I appreciate that little house on Flowery and Plum Circle. I appreciate all that you've given me over the years. Tell him. Let him know that you're grateful. I like this verse. Look on the screen. Ecclesiastes 5.19. He actually says God enjoys this. If God gives a man wealth and prosperity, he should be guilty, feel bad, feel like, oh man, I just got so much. I, I have a guilt complex. There's so many people that don't have that much, and I have so much. I feel Is that what the verse says? No, it says be grateful. And what? Enjoy it. Enjoy what God has given. Why? It is a gift from Him. It's a gift from God. Have you ever given your children a wonderful gift and, and saw the joy that that brings? You don't want to feel bad about receiving that gift. You want them to enjoy that gift and put it to good use. And God wants us to do the same thing. Enjoy the gifts that He has given. You don't got to feel bad about any of that stuff. Don't be trapped by when and then thinking. When I get a better house, then I'll be happy. Then I'll start enjoying. When I get a better job, then I'll, I'll be happy. And then I'll start enjoying. Then I will be grateful. No, you won't. If you're not happy with what you got now, God's not, you're not going to be happy when God gives you more. You'll always want more. Start enjoying what you have now. Number three, release what you have to help others. When you give your child something and your child shares that with others, doesn't that make you happy? Doesn't that make you glad? Well, God's the same way. Release what you have to help others. In other words, share. God wants to bless you to benefit others. And He's watching how much of the stuff He's given you that you share and give away. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. This is a long verse. Look up here on the screen, the first part of this verse. Paul tells Timothy to tell those who are rich. Oh, by the way, I'm looking at the rich folks in the world. Oh, no, Bruce, you don't know me. Oh, yes, I know where you live. You live in the United States of America. Son los Estados Unidos. We're in the top 2% in the world. If you've got to change your clothes, you're doing better than most. Even if you're on welfare and you got up this morning and you turned on the faucet and clean, fresh, running water came out, you're way ahead of many people in the world. You flip on that switch and the light goes on, you're way ahead. We are rich, folks. Tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. Tell them to use their money to do good, to give happily to those in need. Always with others, whatever God has given them. By doing this, what will you be doing? This is a key word. You'll be storing up. You might want to circle that. Storing up treasures for themselves in heaven. It's the only safe investment for eternity. How can I be wealthy? How can I be wealthy and not be materialistic? That's what I want us to delve into in this last couple of points. Follow these four precautions. Look at the screen with me. 
Don't become proud of your wealth. A lot of people do. They make it big. They get up there and they start looking down on other people that aren't at their level. Don't ever fall into that trap. Don't think you're better than others. Number two, don't put your trust in money. Don't look for it for your security because it's not your security. Money and property are not your security. They are not the source. Who is the source? God. God is your source. Money is a result of God. The Bible says it is God who gives man the ability to gain wealth. So whatever ability you have to gain wealth, you got it from God. He is the source. Give Him the glory. And then use your money to do good. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. Don't blow it. And then finally, give cheerfully. That's what Paul just told Timothy. Tell those to store up, to do good, to give it cheerfully. Doing, and by doing this, he goes on to say, they will be storing up real treasure in heaven. You ever heard that old statement, you can't take it with you? I'll tell you something you'll never see. You'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. You can't take it with you, but you can, Paul says, send it ahead. Jesus said, store up for yourselves what? Treasures in heaven. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Did you hear about the guy that died and he went to heaven? And when he first got to heaven, even before he met Peter at the pearly gates, he saw one of his best friends that just died before him go driving by, honking a horn, giving a big old wave, and a brand new Mercedes. And so he walks up to St. Peter, hey, Pete, what's that all about? And he says, well, the transportation you get in heaven throughout eternity is determined by your generosity on earth. And that man right there, that friend of yours, he was a very generous man. And he sent up a lot of stuff and money and things that we could work with. And so we gave him a Mercedes. And the man goes, oh, wow, this ought to be interesting. What do I get? And he says, well... Unfortunately, you weren't all that generous. And you didn't send us a whole lot to work with, but you get a moped. Well, you can tell this guy was a little bit down and kind of just a little bit bummed for the first couple of weeks as he's kind of doing some sightseeing in heaven until one day he saw his preacher go by on roller skates. (laughs) Things aren't always what they seem, folks. I ask you, How much are you storing up? The Bible says you can do it. We should do it. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You've been faithful over very little. I'll place you over much, the Bible says. Acts 20.35 says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Good, church. It's the fact that you know that verse is a good thing. But have you experienced that verse? When some of you nod in your heads, if you've experienced that verse, that is a mark of maturity. When you, some of you are just, I like the receiving part. God says the giving part's better. And when you get to that level, you'll understand it. 
and you will be blessed. It is more blessed. So, resist comparing. Rejoice in what you have. Release what you have to help others. And then, finally, refocus on what's going to last. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. God's word will continue in heaven. It will always be there. You know what? Love will never pass away. I like that. God is love. It's His nature. We're going to a, a place that is just loaded with love. So, let's focus on what's going to last. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 4.18, We fix our attention. We fix our eyes, one version says. Not on the things that are seen. What are the things that are seen? The temporal stuff. If you can see it, it's temporary. But on the things that are unseen, that's the eternal stuff. That's where we should focus our eyes, our attention. What can be seen lasts for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. See, the worst thing about materialism, the worst thing about the Tenth Commandment, not obeying it and coveting, which leads to jealousy and all kinds of fights and quarrels and bad stuff. The worst thing about it is it clouds our vision of God and what He's like. Jesus told a story about this in the Bible one time about a rich, really rich, prosperous man. He built these huge barn, this huge barn because he had a lot of stuff. This guy liked to, to have that desire to acquire. And he started loading his barn with stuff. And once his barn got full, he kept on acquiring. Now he's got stuff on the outside and stuff on the inside. And he's kind of bummed out. Because he doesn't have any place to put it. And so he thinks, ah, I know what I'll do. I'll just build bigger barns. It never occurred to him that he could share it. It never occurred to him that he could tithe it. It never occurred to him that he could do something productive with it. He just kept storing it up and storing it up. And the Bible says, God said, you fool, this night is your soul required of thee. In Luke chapter 12, in verse 15, it says, A man's true life is not made up of the things he owns. No matter how rich he may be, a number of years ago, a funeral took place in Beverly Hills. A very wealthy widow had died, and she was worth millions upon millions and millions, and people gathered around that casket at the graveside service, and as they stood at the edge of that casket, somebody said, it's so sad, she had so much to live for. And a lady nearby said, no, no, that's not true. I was her caregiver. I was with her every day. She had much to live on, but she had nothing to live for. And so I close by asking you the question, what are you living for today? What are you living for? Maybe you need to take some time this afternoon and check your priorities. 
Are they in alignment with the Word of God? Are they in alignment in what really can make you content in the life that God wants you to live? She had much to live on, but she had nothing to live for. Our culture, I know, says, well, if, only, if I'm only worth a little, I'm sorry, if I only have a little, then I'm only worth a little. That's not true. God's Word says, no matter what you have, you're worth a lot to God. Amen? Amen. Let's give praise and let's pray to Him right now and ask Him to help us with some of the issues that were brought up, I'm sure, in this message this morning. So, one more time, I just want to ask you, what are you living for? What are your priorities? Is your primary goal in life just to get more? You know that happiness doesn't come from possessions. It may be temporary happiness, but not longing, lasting happiness. Happiness comes from knowing your purpose. Where you came from, what you're doing here, and where you're going one day when, when it's all over. Ask God to help you with these four steps. You might just say in your mind, Heavenly Father, help me to break the grip of materialism in my life. By buying things that I don't need with money that I don't have, help me to learn to be content with what I have by resisting the urge to compare myself to others, by rejoicing in what I do have, and by releasing what I have to help others. And Father, help me to refocus on what's going to last forever is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.